This morning, I'd like to uh, take a look at the uh, motivational gifts, the list that's uh, given to us here in Romans 12. Um, if you remember the last time I preached here at Weavertown, I um, preached uh, what I would consider the first in uh, a series of a couple of sermons. We looked at the passage in, uh, well, let me say, um, the, the gifts of the Spirit would be the uh, series that I have uh, want to be looking at here. And uh, we started that sermon by and looked at the passage in Ephesians 4, where it teaches on what I would entitle ministry gifts, where you have a list of gifts that are given, and I, um, again, on my personal persuasion, as well as uh, consulting other scholars, uh, feel that this is a list of gifts that are or will be present in a church, I think, where there's a gathering of believers, you're going to have these gifts, and they are function gifts. They are for the purpose, as it says in the passage in verse 12, Ephesians 4:12, that they are for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. They are to, to bring edification and growth and maturity, as that passage uh, seems to indicate. And it's for the purpose of getting God's work done on earth. Additionally, in the last sermon, we looked at the passage in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, where it talks about um, manifestation gifts or the sign gifts. Um, the word that's used there indicates that they, uh, these are gifts of miracles, things that happened supernaturally, and it is for the purpose of having or causing people to be nurtured. It is maybe sort of the same idea as the list in Ephesians 4, that it is to draw attention to, to God. It is so that people can be nurtured and built up in the faith. And I think the uh, passage and the teaching is just as clear uh, in that passage and other places that miracles and these manifestation gifts are for the, the purpose of drawing attention to God, not to the person who's administrating gift. In Jesus' time on earth, it was not Jesus that received the benefit, although he was the one who was administrating miracles, the blind, the lame, the um, the outcasts, those that were outside of fellowship, those that came to him for help were the ones that received the blessing. And it's, it's my personal persuasion that I think the charismatic movement of the last several decades has done a lot of harm to the biblical understanding of and the truth of what miracles are for and their purpose in that. <clears throat> I see at least two significant purposes for spiritual gifts. <clears throat> the first thing that I think is significant about spiritual gifts, and looking here at Romans 12 and Ephesians 4 and uh, 1 Corinthians 12, these three primary passages, as well as 1, 1 Peter chapter 4, there's also some teaching on this. And I, th I think it is, like I said, the thing that comes to my mind is the demonstration of God's love. And to see, his, to see God's love expressed by diversity and differences in the people that I am associated with, connected with. My, my uh, personal makeup is incomplete, and so God places people and situations around me to help me become more developed. We need each other, and especially here in Romans 12, it makes it very clear that God deliberately places variety around us for that, for that purpose. We need each other, and I think as each believer responds to the needs that come up in 
a brotherhood or an association. When each believer does what is theirs to do and use, utilizes the power of God to, to do that, does not rely on selfish means, the body is served. Because like Romans 12 points out, the body does not constitute, is not constituted of one or two types. There's multiple types. And when all of those do their thing that God has called them to do, the body is a unit, a body. Otherwise, it's not a body. So 1 Corinthians 12 talks about diversities and how that constitutes the whole body. Romans chapter 12, verse 6, especially the phrase that stands out to me, or the words side by side there where it says, gifts differing. I find that striking. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, it has the idea that the gifts are given. In other words, there is a giver that has the end goal in mind. And so, when these gifts are in operation, they promote unity when they're not done selfishly, when they're done, not done in the energy of the flesh, when they are done in a spirit of, of humility. And those are things that all the different gifts need to develop and work on. So as we serve God, as we serve his people and the world around us, by using the gifts that he has given us, The love of God is demonstrated, and God's love is projected to people and situations um, not limited to just one way of doing it. The second thing that I see here, and I think it's been true in my personal experience, is that the gifts give direction and purpose in life. Um, I am sympathetic to numerous ones of you, maybe especially youth that have not maybe completely arrived at a conclusion of what your personal gift is. And I'm, I'm not undone by that. I think that in my specific experience, I was probably in my 20s, maybe even older, until I was maybe a bit more convinced of uh, my understanding of what the gift was that God gave to me to use. And I think that uh, even in that, there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of... Uh, Humility that needs to be exercised. We should not, never use these gifts in a way that's motivated by the flesh. But um, I, I think that as the, gift, as the gifts become apparent to us, it serves to give us direction and purpose. For, for me personally, I think I received affirmation and confirmation in ways that are unique to me, and I assume that's probably how it is for others, too, in your gifting. I think it's important for us to understand that each of us has gifts, and whether we know what they are or not, whether we can identify what is the primary gifting in our life is probably less important than whether or not we are actually involved in serving, giving, uh, utilizing the gift that God has given us, not hoarding it, but extending that gift. I hope to um, answer some questions. It will likely be in the next sermon, which uh, this time uh, seems to possibly be in two weeks from today, where uh, I will hope to answer some of these questions and um, yeah, to delve into that idea maybe just a little bit further than I have in the last sermon or will today. In today's sermon, I want to especially look at verses 12, on chapter, Romans chapter 12, verses 6 to 8. Here we have seven gifts that are named, seven uh, spiritual gifts that I would call motivational gifts. They are uh, given to us by God, and they are motivational in the sense that what I do stems from um, my perception 
or my, my God-given perception. I see things in a certain way because of that gift. And another gift looks at the same situation and sees it from a different perspective. For example, let's imagine that there's a fellowship meal down in the uh, basement here at some point, and uh, somebody is walking along with a tray of salad and bumps into something, and the salad is spilled on the floor. It's in those times that you can see giftings. For example, a prophet would maybe think, hopefully not say, but a prophet would say, well, you should have seen the obstacle. It was there. You should have navigated around the obstacle. And the teacher may actually go into a little bit of a dialogue to make that fact clear of how you should go about serving this salad. And he would maybe break it down so that the person could understand that um, the salad was, not, was to end up on the table, not on the floor. A server will immediately come along and start to clean things up. And Mercy will feel so bad for the person, he might even give him a hug on the spot or in some sort of way express feeling to that person. And you get the idea. All of those, not just one of them, communicate God's love. And that's sort of a... Um, maybe sort of a weak illustration, but you understand that in... in a given situation, a given body, situations come along. They do here at Weavertown, at least. And how we respond and how we look at, at the situation is different, but it's all needed. Motivational gifts, things that are inside of us by God, given to us to help get God's work done. I've referred to this verse before, these two verses here, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. It says, As every man or person has received the gift, so even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. It's basically instructing us to, as we have received the gift, to use it. Don't bury it. Don't throw it away. Don't discard it. Don't despise the gift. Use it. That's what God wants. And if there's a speaking gift, use it as a gift from God. If there's a ministering gift, then use that ability which God giveth. And the purpose, like he says, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The Greek word here in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 uh, where it talks about the gift. And also here in Romans 12, it's a different word than the word that's used in 1 Corinthians 12. Here, the Greek word is charisma. And it basically means an endowment or a qualification. It's, it's an inner motivation that becomes a quality in a person's life. These are the gifts that God has built into us for his purpose. And I think that there are a variety of uh, understandings here. I personally would feel that at, um, at the time we are saved, God especially, I think, ratifies this gift to us. But gifts can also be learned or learned behavior. I think I've noticed here in church in my interactions with people, that certain families tend to have um, giftings that are especially uh, obvious, or, or family members are inclined toward certain um, gifts because of perhaps a strong personality in their, in their family. In my case, for example, I think the spiritual gift of prophecy is probably... Um, um, kind of apparent in some of my brothers and sisters and in maybe even in my life personally. I don't necessarily feel that I uh, have a primary gift of prophecy, although uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's evident, I think, to those around me partially because there's at least two family members in who I, I think are prominent 
or very obviously are prophets in their spiritual giftings, and it has impacted me and my brothers and sisters. So, um, along with that, I think there's also a development that comes where as we mature in the faith, I, I think as we become more like Jesus, for example, um, we should become more well-rounded so that some of the negatives that come with our gifts are less obvious and the strengths are more and better utilized. So I, I give recognition to that development uh, aspect and even just the learn part. But I think that God has entrusted all of us, each of us, with a specific purpose, a primary gifting that he wants us to accomplish while we're here on earth. And that is especially, I think, as it relates to getting God's work done in a, in a group of believers, a church. I want to again credit the uh, book entitled Discover Your God-Given Gift by Don and Katie Fortune. I um, recommended that book the last time when I preached, and uh, that's been a blessing to me as long as, 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 as well as other um, uh, books and uh, teachers that I've consulted. <clears throat> Today, and from the rest of the sermon here, I want to especially uh, point out these seven gifts to you. I'm going to try to use some explaining uh, descriptions uh, on the seven gifts, and I encourage us to, to look at ourselves. And sometimes I think it's also um, helpful, I think, to as we go through these lists and see the, the descriptions, we can see others. And I think either one is fine. Uh, generally, I think we are, there's at least one of these gifting that, giftings that is prominent in our makeup, although it is not unusual at all for some people to um, maybe have several. And like I said, there might be multiple reasons for that. But generally, there is one primarily, one primary gifting that especially seems to motivate us. And I, I think it's helpful. I think it's important for us to, to seek to understand that aspect of what motivates us and, and how. So, as we go through here, I uh, want to, um, I'm going to try to keep it accurate, and uh, I am not insisting that I see everything exactly the way it is. We'll start with the, uh, the first one mentioned here in verse 6, and that is the uh, gift of prophecy, or some people call this the gift of uh, discernment, also, also called the gift of perception or perceiver. A person with the gift of prophecy is sometimes called a perceiver. I heard a story recently of uh, a small group Bible study that was uh, studying spiritual gifts, and on the way home, one of their teenage, young teenage, maybe 13 or 14-year-old boys or children said, I perceive that I am a perceiver. <laughs> and that is uh, uh, often a trait of a person who has this gift. They are quick to discern um, motives. They are quick to discern good and evil. They are quick to discern um, what's going on in a situation. Um, they can be very accurate often in their, as they identify. Along with that, perceivers, I think, uh, tend to be outspoken. And they are often bold, and, and uh, they are not people that are particularly inclined to worry about public esteem or personal advantage that they get from being outspoken, but they usually take their stand and are not quick to, to budge on, uh, on, a, on a particular persuasion of theirs. They dislike evil, they hate evil, and want to... Uh, stay away from that as, possible, as, as much as possible. Perceivers tend to see things as black or white, contrasting. It's either one or the other. Seldom, they, they seldom see situations as gray or indefinite. Perceivers are quick to make decisions. 
They do so rather easily, and they often form quick evaluations and opinions. Like I said, they see things as right or wrong, and they want right and despise wrong. And sometimes inappropriately or appropriately, they come to certain conclusions. To them, there's nothing like in-between. They see things as, uh, as, as clear-cut. And it's usually one or the other, not usually or not typically a combination of two ideas. They either tend to say yes or no, seldom maybe. Perceivers generally have a strong sense of self-discipline. They have strict personal standards for themselves. They're bold and outspoken and don't usually mince words. Perceivers can be very persuasive in their, in their communication. Most perceivers tend to have a speaking gift, and they use their method of, of speaking to, to teach and to influence, and, and they tend to be persuasive. Along with that, perceivers are often some of the best prayers in a congregation. They see the need for intercession, and when you combine that with their level of self-discipline, they can rise at any time of the day or night, and perceivers are generally people who can pray and fast and uh, take matters to God. Perceivers often are introspective, and that simply means that they uh, tend to look at the needs in their own lives, not only at the lives of others. They, they often tend to have a strong desire to cleanse their life, their own life, from infection. Now, every gifting seems to have a little bit of negatives attached to it. And I hesitated to point this out, but I think I will. I'm convinced that as long as we're in the flesh, there's things that we will have to battle with. And I think even in this idea of spiritual gifts, there are aspects of the gift. While it is a blessing when it's used correctly, there are also tendencies that we have to, in this gift to um, use it negatively. For example, a, a person with the gift of prophecy, a perceiver can tend to be very judgmental and critical. They tend to sometimes um, not have many close friends because they see the imperfections in, in everybody around them. And they, they just, yeah, it's hard for them to get close to people because they uh, are often undone by the, the lack that they see in people around them. They are often very blunt and sometimes hurtful in their, in their speaking. They can be very intolerant and sometimes pushy in their assessments. Sometimes, sometimes people with the gift of perception or perceivers tend not to be particularly good team players when they're on a committee. Um, I, think, I think sometimes it seems as if when they are opposed, it almost seems to validate their, their feeling of, of correctness. Um, if everybody agrees with them, sometimes I think perceivers can actually feel a little bit uh, uncomfortable. Perceivers tend not to give much praise, especially when there's partial progress, because they can't understand why a person isn't totally committed or isn't totally on one side or the other. Some biblical examples. I think John the Baptist was a perceiver. I think the prophet Jonah was a perceiver. And some others of the prophets, like Jeremiah, for example. These are people who feel deeply about something, and they, they give their life to that cause. <clears throat> The second thing, the second gift that's mentioned here in Romans 12 is the gift of serving, also known as the gift of ministry, which is the word that King James Version uses. People with this gift easily recognize practical needs, and they see themselves as the answer to those needs. A person with the gift of serving does not, is not one that delegates well. When there's a need, they seek to fill it. They see themselves as able to fill that. And People with this gift can spot a need from a mile away. It's like they have built-in radar. They can, they, they can see it, almost, a need developing almost before it even is there. Often, these people serve on food committees. 
and they're setting up chairs before anyone is there. And they're taking chairs down after everyone else has left. They're cleaning up after other people have gone home. Servers especially enjoy doing things with their hands, and they're usually good at with their hands. They can often um, do things um, easily and well. They have, uh, they're gifted with in that way. Servers like to have, keep things orderly. They pay attention to details. They dislike clutter. Um, yeah, just can't stand it. They enjoy showing hospitality. They see hospitality as a way to serve, obviously. And so they are usually much more interested in meeting the needs of others, and they're willing to sacrifice their own needs, even to the point of, uh, yeah, working themselves practically to death. Um, yeah, they, they will give or serve in that way. They see serving as being of the, the very essence of Christianity. They see uh, serving as being of great importance. They feel great joy in doing kind things to other people. Servers tend not to be as gifted in their speaking or in their communication. They lead by actions. And so, yeah, servers tend not to be quite as good at expressing themselves and sometimes servers uh, are actually um, sometimes sort of uh, looked down on, especially when they're in positions of leadership because they, have, of, yeah, they tend not to be able to express themselves quite as well, uh, either in speaking or in writing. But they are usually very supportive of the leaders around them. Servers have basically one speed, and that's fast forward. Servers usually have a lot of energy, and they're willing to stick with something until it's completely done. The negative side of servers, um, they tend to be very critical of those that don't help out. Uh, they cannot understand why somebody doesn't see the obvious need. Why, why would somebody, I mean, yeah, why wouldn't you see? Um, yeah. And it, it often bothers them when people don't help out with obvious needs. And they, sometimes I think servers tend to neglect the needs of people that are close to them because they're off helping others. I think servers sometimes find it hard, very hard, except being served by others. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what to say about that. Occasionally, servers, I think, tend to become pushy or interfering because they want to help in some cases where their help is not necessarily needed and, or even wanted. And at the same time, uh, that can be a cause of hurt for, for servers when their work is not appreciated. Um, it can cause them to yeah, feel hurt. Some biblical examples of, of servers, and I couldn't find many quickly, and I think that's at least partially because servers are often behind the scenes. They do their things behind the scenes. They're not usually the visible people in a group. Mary, the mother or the sister of Mary, uh, was serving. You can see she was concerned about the details of getting food and making Jesus feel welcome and, and yeah, taking care of the, of the details. She was all about that. Uh, Dorcas in Acts 9, when she passed away, it seems that almost the only thing that people felt and remembered about Dorcas was the kind things that she had done to them. And that's very typical of servers. <clears throat> then there are teachers. And the teachers are basically researchers. In some way or another, I think teachers will be involved in teaching. It's, it's their inner drive, their motivation. They may not be teaching a grade in school. They may not be teaching a class in Sunday school. But in some way, they are teaching. It is, it is the, the way they, they roll. They are able to present things, even difficult things, and things that are hard to understand or hard to explain. They're able to break it down so that it's understandable and simple and, and can be very persuasive. Most teachers have a strong speaking gift to go along with it. They enjoy studying the Bible. They enjoy studying and researching topics of all kinds. 
Teachers often have a very good memory, and they're able to, to connect the various things that they study and are able to yeah, give it to other people. Teachers dislike when scriptures or facts are used out of context. Uh, you can usually count on it that what a teacher presents is, is done in a logical sort of way. Um, often in, in, um, in correct chronological order and that sort of thing. They're concerned that truth is represented and emphasized. Teachers also tend to be very disciplined and very self-controlled. Um, yeah, that's a good thing. They tend to have, I think, maybe sort of like the prophets. They tend to have a smaller circle of close friends. But part of that, I think, is, is because they are usually very visible. Most teachers are in a very visible role of some sort. Some of the negatives. Teachers tend to be impractical, perhaps even legalistic, dogmatic. Um, teachers tend to be skeptical or slow in a, to accept the viewpoint of others. Uh, teachers are often more intellectual, and it's clear in their minds So, uh, when somebody presents something in a maybe not a very uh, chronological order or a very skilled way, they can tend to look down on that. Uh, teachers of all the gifts are probably most tended toward relational conflict at uh, tend to maybe even at almost every turn um, have uh, it's something that teachers need to work on. Um, along with that, I think tender, teachers can tend toward taking sort of an unnecessary pride in, in intellectual ability. Um, teachers are often very gifted in a lot of different things, and so it is sometimes a challenge for a teacher to stay focused on things because he's, he sees opportunities and he, have, he has a lot of interest. And it's uh, sometimes hard for a teacher to finish what he started. Some of the biblical um, examples, I think the, uh, the, uh, the writer Luke in the Bible is perhaps one of the most obvious teachers in my opinion. And you can see that through the, the Gospels his gospel, and through the book of Acts. Um, he's very chronological in his order. He gives us more details than some of the other writers. And he not only gives us the what, but he gives us the why. Um, Timothy, I think, was a, a teacher and perhaps the disciple Thomas. <clears throat> Exhorters. The teacher aims for a person's head, but the disorder goes for your heart. And the person with the gift of exhortation is especially good at encouraging. And when encouragers, when, when exhorters are teaching publicly, when they're publicly speaking, I've noticed that one of the most obvious ways to discover a person's to, to, to see this gift, especially when he's in public, is he wants, he wants a response from the audience, almost always. Uh, an exhorter gets up front, and he, he, wants, he wants interaction. He wants your heart. He wants, to, to, he wants you to see engaged. He wants to see you responding. They are usually very practical, not only in their teaching, but also in their life. They keep things down to earth and simple. They're usually much more anxious to apply truth to live it, and maybe tend to be less, less inclined to actually research it and to, uh, to um, be able to yeah, do that part of it. Exhorters are usually people people. They, they work well with others. They're team players. They are greatly focused on victory and accomplishments. They're, um, they enjoy seeing development in other people. I think a lot of times in your counseling ministries, for example, um, some of the uh, best counselors out there are, have this spirit gift. They accept people for who they are and for where they are, and they uh, are able to make and allow people to feel loved because they usually have a very positive attitude. Even, even some of the, the worst things that come along, they're, they're, they see the positive in, in that. Exhorters are usually fluent in communication. In other words, they can, they can express what they're feeling and 
they're able to, to, to yeah, they're good at, at, uh, at dialogue. Exhorters usually have high expectations of themselves and others, and they are especially eager to finish projects that they start. Exhorters to the negative tend to be very wordy. Um, sometimes they are quick to interrupt in conversations. They say too much. They assume too much. They uh, are positive almost to a flaw where um, they will overlook negative things just because they, yeah, they're so eager to, to move to a position of positive. They tend to take scriptures out of context sometimes when they teach and preach. In order to make a point, uh, they, will, they are um, maybe guilty sometimes of making the Bible walk on all fours because it fits their uh, theology or their, the point that they're trying to make. Exhorters can be overly self-confident and opinionated. Sometimes, sometimes also um, an, an immature exhorter can appear or come across as sort of cocky. Some biblical examples. I would think of Barnabas, the disciple. Um, wherever you see him in the book of Acts, wherever he shows up, he is encouraging someone. He is, he is around somebody. He's never first in command. He's almost always second in command. He's not usually the, the point person in whatever he's involved in. But he, wherever he shows up in the book of Acts, he's encouraging someone. Peter, I think, may have been an exhorter as well. And then there's the givers. I think of the seven motivational gifts, I think this is maybe the hardest to identify, and I think one of the reasons for that is because I think givers are especially, um, maybe especially behind the scenes. They are often um, people who are not necessarily looking for the limelight. And I think people with the gift of giving are less, the least likely to identify it in themselves. And one of the reasons for that is, uh, some of the reasons that I already gave is that they're not necessarily looking for credit. They're not necessarily looking for the limelight. They uh, are good at doing what the Bible says. They don't let their left hand know what their right hand's doing. And so they don't necessarily, um, especially a mature giver, is, is especially good at... Um, doing or giving, doing kind things for people without, being, um, without letting it get to his head. And I think another reason that this gift is sometimes hard to identify is because a giver shares many traits with the server, with the perceiver, with the teacher. You will often see a lot of overlap in these gifts, and it can be hard to identify for that reason. Givers are just that. They, they give freely of the, their possessions. They give freely of their time. They give freely of energy. Um, they give money. And coincidentally, they usually have a lot. They usually have lots of money. They are often successful in the ventures that they pursue, for example. They're able to, to turn a profit. They're usually very frugal in what they do. And they pursue high quality and high value in, in, their, gift, in their giving. They, they are especially more focused on, on the quality of the gift um, as compared to the quantity, like maybe a server would be. <clears throat> Thankfully, givers tend not to be gullible. Some of the, some of the least uh, likely people to be deceived in a, in a church are people with this gift. They are able to break things down and... Yeah, they're, they're, um, they're sensitive and usually sensible in, in, in their gift. They are especially eager not to manipulate. However, like I said, that would be maybe especially true of a, of a developed or a mature giver. Uh, to the negative, I think um, an immature giver sometimes does the exact opposite of what I just said that givers do. I, I believe I have already seen sometimes where givers give gifts, sometimes even big gifts, but they tend not to cut the strings. In other words, they want to say how the gift is to be used by the person they gave it to. 
Um, in other words, they uh, tend toward wanting to control uh, situations. Even after the gift is given, sometimes they are still wanting to say how it's done. Um, givers are often the ones who uh, have a tendency to cause others to pressure others to give. And I realize that can be a good thing, but sometimes, sometimes it's also the negative. Um, givers can sometimes be quick to use their gift of giving or the fact that they gave as a way of getting out of other responsibilities. So when there's a need, they'll just give money or they'll give possessions, and they tend not to want to involve themselves beyond that. Some biblical examples. Uh, I think the, uh, the uh, patriarch, Abraham, I think you can see some, some gifts or some of this gifting in him. King Solomon, I think the Apostle Paul was a giver. And you can pretty much see his entire life is a, is a life that was lived as a gift to others. You don't see Paul thinking about himself he just sees everything that he's doing, he's, he's doing it for other people, and he, he sees it as a way to serve God by giving. And that's, that's a real blessing. And then there's rulers. Sometimes they're called administrators. A ruler is a person who is a born leader. And just like cream and milk, um, a person with this gift is going to be in some form of organization. And sometimes that's the wording for this gift is the word organizer. They are usually visible in what they're doing. Um, when they're on almost any committee or any responsibility, you can usually see a server, I mean a, a, a ruler. Um, they do their work up front and visible um, in, in just about anything they do. Uh, when they're surrounded by others, there's quickly people are looking to them for how to do it and why to do it and what to do and in what order and that sort of thing. And rulers are people that are especially gifted uh, in that way. They, they um, are able to rise to that challenge. They're able to communicate what needs to be done and how it needs to be done. They're able to, to um, take notes and, and to um, organize their own life and the lives of others in that way. Rulers love a challenge. Um, they're usually visionary people. And they're highly motivated to organize whatever it is that they're responsible for. They're usually good at communicating. They're good at delegating. They can get other people involved. And they can usually organize resources and people and put them in the right spot and get the job done. Leaders, rulers tend to be goal-oriented. And they're especially good at uh, long-term goals or setting uh, goals at the, even at the beginning of a project, they're looking at the end already. And okay, so how, how, do, how do we want this to look at the end and that sort of thing? And how do we know that we're accomplishing something? And those kinds of things. They, they are capable of doing large amounts of work. They're usually talented and gifted in that way. Leaders, I'm sorry, rulers or administrators will assume responsibility when there's no one in charge. There's probably few things that are just outstanding uh, to decide a person's gifting is when there's nobody in charge, they'll take responsibility and they'll, they'll do it willingly. Uh, they can walk into a room of total strangers and in a short time, they, they seem to be the ones that are um, able to communicate what needs to be done. Rulers, administrators are not concerned about who gets the credit. And it's a good thing because they enjoy interaction with people and they are usually uh, quick to allow other people to, to assume responsibility and to take the credit for even some smashing successes. They, they are usually not the ones that are apt to take the credit. Rulers or administrators want to see things completed quickly and they tend to be very bored with routine. I think of all the gifts, I think the administrator, the negatives come with the greatest pitfalls. Um, people with the gift of administration are, tend to be talented, they're good at a lot of different things, 
Uh, they're good with their hands. They're good with speaking. And they often have lots of different interests. And they got their fingers in all kinds of different things. And it, it can be a problem. They are often... Um, they have a tendency to set a pace that's too fast. So when they're in charge, they, they, they're looking at the goal. They see what the goal is. They're able to break it down. They're able to discern what's going on in a group and to discern the feelings of people. And so in that, in that way, um, they can forge ahead. And, and uh, I think sometimes that they move so fast that the rest of the people think they're the enemy. They can become very upset, on the other hand, when people don't share the same goals they have. When they, when they see somebody not getting it, when they see some, somebody not following what in their mind appears obvious, it can be very upsetting to them. And I think sometimes administrators can regress to using people to accomplish tasks. And I'm saying using in a wrong way. They, will, they become sometimes manipulative they will use their words and their actions uh, to move people around like, kind of like pawns on a chessboard, chess game. Um, administrators can be seen as bossy. And like I said before, they are often have their fingers in a lot of different things. They tend to overextend themselves and uh, are often very driven to accomplish tasks. Along with that, because of their multi- faceted interests that they have, and they're involved in a bunch of different things, it's easy for them to become scattered, and they move to one thing before the next thing is done. And I think it's particularly significant to notice what Romans tells them. He says that the person with gifts should do it with diligence. Um, I just find that interesting. Because a ruler or because an administrator is visible, and um, because he or she is often a leader, and leaders get criticized, um, and a, a person with this gift can become very callous to advice and criticism from others. Some of the biblical examples, um, Joseph in the book of Genesis, I, I think it's a classic example of a person who had this gift. Um, throughout his whole life, he was in a visible, prominent position. But through the whole, his whole life, you see him giving credit to other people and to God himself. He doesn't take credit for himself. David, the King, King David. Nehemiah, um, again, just a classic organizer. I think James, the Lord's or Jesus' brother that wrote the, the book in James, I think he was uh, one of the prominent leaders in book of, or in the church at Jerusalem, and in the book of Acts, you can see him doing his things, and I think I can see strains of gifting in the, in the life of James. And then there's the gift of mercy, and thank God for this gift. This is, a, this is one gift that I think uh, is especially uh, a special blessing to, in a church, and uh, a needed gift. And I think where there are studies done, and where there's training done, and where there's uh, evaluations done, I think the gift of mercy or compassion tends to be the largest in a given group. Um, they are like, yeah, they tend to, they, they, a mature person with the gift of mercy has a tremendous capacity to love people. He is like, they're like oil in relationships. They just help things run smoothly. And along with that, they're usually especially attracted to people that are hurting or in distress in some way. And uh, they're usually looking for the good in others. They take actions to make things easy for others in a group. They love to give preference to others. They don't mind at all to see others uh, accomplish things. They, yeah, that's, it's, they see it as a good thing. I think it's interesting to notice, especially in these gifts, that people with the gift of compassion are especially drawn to people with the same gifting. Um, they will usually have uh, very close friends and often tend to surround themselves with people with the same gifting. 
And I can see that as a positive. I think maybe there are aspects of that maybe that could be negative. But I, I think it's a positive. Uh, it's also interesting to note that people with the gift of mercy are inclined to marry somebody with that same gift than some of these other gifts. Uh, these other, yeah, some of the other gifts are less likely to get married to somebody with the same gift. But mercy relates to other people with that same gift. Mercy is good at avoiding conflict. They will uh, try to uh, make things smooth, and, and um, they're typically cheerful and, and trustworthy. They're loyal. They rejoice to see others blessed, and they grieve when other people are hurt. Um, mercy people or gifting people with this gift are usually a crusader for good causes. You will most times see a person with this gift involved in some sort of organization or some sort of cause that is, that is um, making things easier for other people. Um, just about always. They're a crusader for, for good causes. And um, they're often good prayers. They reach out to people that are hurt. And they feel and see problems in others. And they're quick to respond to that. Some of the negatives for this gifting is that they tend to be very indecisive. And in a group... They're likely to transfer responsibility to others. Um, if you are organizing something and you talk to a person with this gift and you get, try to get him or her to do something, it often takes a lot of arm twisting to try to get a yes at him. <clears throat> um, I see that as a negative. Um, along with that, I think that uh, people with the gift of mercy are sometimes prone to take up wrong causes. Let me give you an example. In a church setting or a friend setting or a group setting, it's normal for hurt to happen. It's, it's, we, as much as we try to avoid it, conflict or something comes up and, and mercy feels very deeply about these kinds of things. So let's imagine that person A does something to person B that's hurtful to person B. And person B shares this inf incident, shares what happened with mercy. That's normal. That is just a typical thing to happen. Mercy sees that person B is hurt and becomes available and becomes the sounding person. Well, in the process of time, person A and person B resolve the conflict. But mercy is still holding a grudge toward person A for what he or she did. I, yeah, again, I see that as a, as a good thing, but it can also be a real positive. Um, I think that people with this gift tend to be very easily hurt and tend to harbor grudges, perhaps much longer than necessary. People with this gifting are um, prone to or tend toward impugning motives on other people, and it can cause them to, to uh, yeah, it can, it can take a lot of joy out of their life. I think it's very interesting to note that here in Romans 12, it says that the person with mercy should do it with cheerfulness. Um, again, not completely sure what all is, that means, but I think it's instructive. Several biblical examples of people with this gifting. Uh, the Good Samaritan. Um, yeah, when nobody else was willing to get down and help the hurt person. The Good Samaritan did it willingly. He goes above and beyond. He takes care of all the details to the end. Um, and here again, couples. I think Ruth and Boaz had this gifting. I think Joseph and Mary, the, the parents of Jesus, had this gift. And uh, I find it ironic to notice that they're married to each other. Moses had this gift, I believe. Well, it's time to close, and I realize that there may be lots of questions that are lingering in your mind, and uh, hopefully in the next sermon I will be able to give some guidance to, that, to some of those questions. And again, I invite you and encourage you to, to do research on your own. Um, the questions that you have, uh, bring them to the Lord, bring them to other people, uh, bring them to Google if you want, and 
find, uh, yeah, do some research and study into this. Uh, some of the questions that you might have, I think, are worth asking. And uh, I would like to uh, take some liberty for myself to give you some of my thoughts on that. Several reminders as I close. I think it's important for us to see God's giftings as gifts that are to be used. They're not for me, they're for others. They're not for my benefit, they're for the benefit of people around me. That's why God gave it to me. He did not give me this gifting so that I can be, become arrogant or prideful with my gifting and use it in ways to manipulate others and to manipulate situations because of, I'm good at this, I have this gifting, and other people don't, and so that makes me superior. We need, to, we need to just avoid that. These gifts are meant to be lovingly shared and lovingly dispensed to meet the needs of others in our circle of friends and in our church and in our community. I think it's important also for us to know that these gifts are valuable and that they're needed in the body of Christ. To the degree that a certain gifting is missing is the corresponding degree to which a church is is um, yeah is is handicapped. If in a literal body, if my if I lose my arm, I have a physical handicap, and it's the same way in this in the spiritual giftings. When those gifts are despised or not used or ignored or pushed aside in some way, the body is going to be handicapped. And I just want to emphasize this, that uh, these gifts are needed. Uh, They're all needed. And as we utilize these gifts, we experience personal fulfillment. I think there's great joy to be had in using these gifts. And we experience direction and purpose in life as we go, I think. I'm going to close this sermon by reading the rest of Romans chapter 12. And uh, I um, yeah, found it amazing that God led Caleb to, uh, to introduce this subject so well and the topic. And uh, I'd like for us to just stand together. And then I'm going to read Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21. And then we'll, I'll lead in a prayer uh, at the end of this sermon here. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned toward one another. Be kindly affectioned to one another with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink, for in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you in this time. We thank you, Lord, for the uh, spiritual gifts that you have extended to all of us, to your people, to your church, to believers wherever they are. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to um, use what you've given to us, to be a blessing to other people, to reach out to the needs of those around us in our church. And specifically, I pray for that aspect, that we here at Weavertown would have a greater and a deeper understanding of how we can utilize what you have given to us, the needs that are especially outstanding to us, um, 
and help us, Father, to do that in a way that's, that's humble and that's uh, mature. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to uh, follow you and to allow your word and your life to impact us, and we in turn would copy that to uh, those around us. Thank you for your word and how it speaks to us. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated.